All right, let's get into it. Treasure Planet. Easily one of my absolute favorite movies of all time. To me, this movie is still a beautiful blending of classic storytelling meets science fiction tropes and takes. It's got cyborgs, weird alien pirates, uh, a fat guy whose language is entirely uh, relayed with farts, uh, a navy officer who is literally just a giant amalgamation of rocks. Uh, <laughs> he's literally the rock biter's kid from Neverending Story. Uh, not to mention, you know, really cool things like stars going supernova, uh, spaceships with solar-powered sails, uh, scattered-brained robots, and there's ton of adventure to be had, too. Now, if you don't know, like where this movie comes from, uh, it's a take on the classic book Treasure Island by Robert Louis Stevenson. And the movie was released in 2002. Uh, Stevenson wrote this book like back in the 50s. And it's a Disney movie. Uh, they've released a couple of other variations uh, of the tale by Stevenson, with the likes of Muppet Treasure Island. Um, and they had their original release back in 1950. And I think that's on Disney Plus, actually. Yeah, needless to say, this has been a story worth retelling for generations, and every version has added something fun and memorable to the story. Uh, there's a funny joke that's that's online uh, amongst people my age, uh, where they're like, you can really tell a lot about a person where they know Tim Curry from based on where they know Tim Curry from, whether it's uh, Muppet Treasure Island or Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> and uh, I knew him from Muppet Treasure Island first. So <laughs> I don't know what that says about me. Maybe that I liked watching Muppets, but be that as it may. Now, this movie came out during an absolute golden age of 2D animated films alongside the likes of Atlantis Lost Empire, which is another super underrated classic that did not get its cult following until years later. Sad to say, uh, this movie didn't either. But I, I think that Treasure Planet is kind of this unsung masterpiece. Uh, now, a lot of this is clearly opinion-based, but some of my analysis is also objective reality. It's, it's based on one of those most beloved stories of all time. It's beautifully blended with a wide array of creative alien designs. It, it combines this 1400s British aesthetic with futuristic tech. Uh, the The color design, the, the color schemes, they're this blend of highlighted brights and shaded darks that accent moods and situations with a bit more of a serious tone than one might find in a kid's film. There's a lot going on in this movie, especially for it being a kid's film. 
Like, it's... It's kind of impressive. But it's done so stinking well, though. Like, everything fits together just beautifully. And the, the characters have actual development and, and growth. And there are little life lessons and attachments made. And if, if you really want to scratch more than the surface of a kid's movie, which is what we're here to do, then there's an argument to be made that the film presents an ethos to the viewer. That kind of classic motif that things are not always what they seem and that it's okay to be mischievous and take on danger as, as long as you have a good moral compass that steers you into a good direction in the end. Now, where this movie gets real and stops being too much of a kid's film, I would say first where it stays a kid's film. Where, where you're kind of watching it and you're clearly... I mean, come on. It's clear that this is made for children. I would say it's the opening till about the introduction of Long John Silver, who, in this adaptation, is a cyborg. They're really playing up on that crippled aspect of the character. Like, he doesn't just have a lost leg, right? He's He's got a cybernetic arm and and uh, cybernetic eye like he's he, they're really playing him uh, being this you know space cripple <laughs> and it's used to great effect I mean he's constantly having to uh, tighten bolts on his leg he's having to fix himself he's adjusting his his uh, cybernetic eye uh, he even alludes to him being okay with losing an like all these parts of him, of himself in pursuit of his life's dream. And that's one reason I think that uh, the introduction of Silver is where the film starts to take off for adults as well as kids. Because we've had fun and silly alien creatures and interactions. Uh, we get some creative sets. Uh, like how the moon above Jim's planet is actually a crescent-shaped starport that's also styled with 1400s British motif and architecture. But for me, uh, where the adult part comes in uh, is really in the lines and the moods in the scenes that, that kind of move us along. Especially with Silver. Uh, like his line about his chasing his dreams while he kind of looks really mournfully at his cybernetic hand. Telling us without telling us that life is really hard and you have to go through tough times in life in order to get what you want. Or there's the whole uh, I'm still here song montage of uh, Jim's time spent with Silver as his mentor on the ship. It's this angsty early 2000s-esque emo band song. Uh, kind of reminds me a bit of Welcome to the Black Parade if it was sung by the Goo Goo Dolls. After watching it again a few more times, 
I've come to realize that this number is not meant for kids. It is absolutely meant for adults. Because it shows this kid growing up with a father figure that we see the dad abandon his family. <laughs> like, actually see it. Like, see him get on the ship and fly away. Uh, we see the emotional repercussions of that on the kid. And that kid then finding his own way with adventure and thrills alongside this pseudo father figure who the kid as long as well as us recognizes that this person is clearly being full of flaws just like Jim is but this is why the number isn't necessarily for children who haven't experienced any of that yet or can really grasp what it means. It's for the adults who can recognize and connect with what's happening, not only because they can digest the material better, but because those adults have sifted through their own traumas and life experiences, and they can relate, and they can relive the, the good euphoric feelings of finally having those traumas resolved or worked out and uh, having life come out better afterwards. This is where the pathos of the film takes hold in the audience because we know what's going to happen. Silver and his men mutiny. They take the ship. They try to kill everybody. And they, they try to take the map and the treasure. But... We, we just spent time <laughs> building this really strong and tangible relationship between Jil uh, between Jim and Silver. And because we've now subconsciously linked our own experiences with these two, we want that relationship to continue and not get messed up with what we know Silver is about to do. And we kind of do see that pain with Silver because he he's threatening Jim. He's he's like, I'm, I'm going to kill all of you. I'm going to turn the ship's cannons on you. And there's times where he can do it. There's times where he can 100% obliterate Jim and uh, Dr. Doppler and the captain and everybody else. But he doesn't do it. He he kind of sighs and realizes that he can't go through with it. He even saves Jim from falling into uh, this planet core of molten lava, uh, and he gives up his his treasure um, in in order to do it. So, the the writers and the director of this movie, I very much believe, recognized that that relationship that they had built and what it would do to the audience. And they, they recognized that the ending had to be the way that it is because of how they knew their audiences were going to connect with these characters. I mean, Silver gets away on a life raft uh, instead of going to prison. Uh, he tosses a pocket full of treasure to Jim, telling him to help his mom rebuild the bimbo inn and he rides off into the sun laughing 
We even get Silver returning for a brief second uh, in cloud form to give Jim a wink in the closing number of the movie, and, and that's how we end. And if you can't already tell, I 100% believe that what sets this particular telling of Treasure Island apart from all of the others is clearly the relationship between Jim and Silver. Now that's not to say that the other versions didn't have a connection between the two, but it is really built up and fleshed out in Treasure Planet. And it's done with just this massive, colorful, and thrilling sci-fi background created all around it, which makes it obviously more enjoyable for me. And there are a lot of other fun characters to focus on, of course, but they don't really take center stage as much as Jim or Silver. There's the crew, which is comprised of uh, strangely Russian and uh, vaguely European-sounding multi-eyed tentacle creatures um, who are kind of spurned on by this large spider scorpion alien wears a do-rag for some reason. Uh, There's the second to command uh, to the captain, uh, who, like I said, is this enormous rock biter from Neverending Story uh, in full British Navy regalia. Uh, The captain is the precursor to Lola Bunny in terms of setting up tons of people to be furries in the future. Uh, She's this cat-like no-nonsense, hard-nosed military leader. It is a lot of fun honing in on any one of these guys. The the only problem is you kind of can't focus on any of them for the whole movie. And we aren't given too much resolution with any of them, aside from uh, a few of them getting killed and Uh, The cat captain ending up having kids with the dog scientist at the end of the movie. Progressive times indeed. (laughs) And I did touch briefly on how the movie likes to blend futuristic tech with old British styles. And uh, it even plays into the weapons and the ship, which is kind of weird. Like when the ship is maneuvering uh, around a supernova that goes into a black hole. The crew all have lifelines that are actually lines of rope. Why? This is a spaceship, right? You, you can't have anything more sophisticated or advanced than rope. Granted, the ship is made out of wood, but that also bothers me. <laughs> Why? This is where it all turns back into a kid movie again, though with a a wild suspension of disbelief that is honestly needed to enjoy any kind of movie or show because that's kind of the whole point to suspend as much reality as possible but rope and if you watch the movie you can understand why they did it it's so they could give the rock biter Mr. Arrow and the spider scorpion, Mr. Scroop, some dramatic death scenes where they both fly off beyond the constraints of the ship's gravity field. But 
man, that suspension of disbelief gets tough to manage the older you get. Which, being a kid at heart most of the time, has always given me a problem with adults openly not liking cartoons. Thinking that they're, oh, this is just for kids, blah, blah, blah. But that's blatantly not true, especially with today. It's kind of been not true since, I would say, late 90s, uh, where it's really been not true with the likes of South Park. And, and then we get Rick and Morty and Archer, Star Wars The Clone Wars. Cartoons have been made for adults for a long while now. And I... I think it's just one of those generational overlays that people older than millennials tend to have. Uh, and it may be a leftover from the boomer generation that came before them, uh, where comic books and cartoons were kind of 100% made for kids. But to me, this movie helps along the idea that things can be made to please both children and adults at the same time without going in one direction or the other too, too much. I mean, this would be true for other an uh, animated films that would come out in the uh, same era of animation style. Uh, again, Atlantis, The Lost Empire, Lilo and Stitch, uh, Sinbad, The Legend of the Seven Seas, uh, Road to El Dorado, Spirit. I mean, not only did all of these films share a kind of art style, but they also had similar touches of seriousness to them that hadn't really been found in a lot of other kids' films at the time. And to me, that's... I mean, this is what helps set these films apart and makes them enjoyable to watch even 20 years later. Well, that's all I have time for today, guys. Thank you so much for tuning back in and stick around for more Sci-Fi Unchained. But for now, live long and prosper, my friends. And may the Force be with us all.